You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Turn with me your Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 30 through 32. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. It'll be on the screen behind me. But I will say this. I'll encourage you to have a Bible and to get in the habit of having it with you. You have an app, great. You can use an app. Uh, There's a certain degree of security that goes along with having your Bible in hand, though, especially when you're doing your morning devotions. It helps to be able to read uh, without any distractions whatsoever and to just simply focus on God. This morning I want to talk to you about finding freedom. Finding freedom. Let's take a look at John 8, verses 30 through 32. It says, as he was saying these things, Many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews that had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, which is life and breath and living water. Holy Spirit, we pray, help our eyes to see our ears to hear, our minds to comprehend, and our hearts to respond to your word today. And help me to proclaim it clearly as I should. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I want you to know the premise of today's message is Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to set you free more than anything else, more than you want to be free, if you can imagine that. How many times have you struggled with something, whether it's anxiety or fear or addiction or generational habits or patterns at work, and you say, I just wish I could be free. And I want to challenge you with this thought that as much as you want to be free, Jesus wants you to be free more than you do. Sometimes we think, well, if I want it bad enough, then I'll get it truth is we don't have the ability to set ourselves free we need help to be set free sometimes our efforts lead to failure but we need to come to jesus to be able to find lasting freedom this passage of scripture that we just read is part of john chapter 8 and there's a whole chapter that goes into it and i'm not going to read the whole thing but the background of this is that Jesus talks about being the light of the world. And the Jews and the Pharisees that were gathered to listen to him challenge his claims because they don't really believe that he is sent from God. They don't believe that he's from God at all. They did not understand what he was saying, and they disregarded his testimony. They said, you know, you can't testify about yourself. It requires the the law of the Jews requires two or three witnesses, so you can't testify that you are the Son of God. You need somebody else to testify. And Jesus says, my testimony is valid because God as my Father testifies that I am sent from Him. But they still did not want to understand. He says, you'll understand when the day comes when I am crucified for the sins of all mankind, then you will understand and know what I'm saying is true. Now, we're talking about a mostly hostile crowd. But in verse 30, Jesus spoke these words. He says, as he spoke these words, many people believed. As he spoke these words, many people believed. Now, this sounds like a good thing. This sounds interesting that there are those that are opposed to him, and yet, Somehow people heard his words and they took them to heart and they believed. But belief in God is not the true test of whether or not you're a follower of Christ. You know, everyone believes in God in some way. But if you ask them what they think about Jesus, you'll get a more honest answer as far as what a person really thinks about Christ and being a Christian. We often think, well, they say they believe in God, so that must mean they're a Christian. That must mean they're a churchgoer, right? Not always. Not necessarily. But Jesus says something to test the belief of those who profess faith in him. This is what he says to him. He says, if you abide or live in my word, 
you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The true test of whether or not they were really his followers or really his disciples was not just belief, but walking according to Jesus' teachings. If you hold to my teachings, he said, then you are really my disciples. This is the true test of discipleship. Because there's a lot of people that believe in God, and many may even believe in Jesus, but if you look at their life, and if you were to ask the question, do they really follow what Jesus teaches, most of the time you would see the answer is no, they don't. But there's a simple idea here that we need to get a hold of in verse 32 is that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How many have heard that sentence before in a non-Christian context? How many have heard it like in a conversation? I thought you might have even heard it on a TV show or a movie. And usually it has different connotations. People say, well, it's all about, uh, you know, it." When you see all the evidence, when you see the truth, then that person will be set free. Or they refer to a philosophy, a philosophy. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Or if you receive a revelation or an understanding about what's going on, then you'll really see the truth and you'll be free from that. And all those things are accurate to some degree, but that's not what Jesus means. Jesus didn't mean like when you have an understanding or a revelation of yourself that you'll be able to be free. It's not when you receive a revelation of a particular philosophy that you'll be free. But he's declaring that if you want to be free, you have to follow me. And only by following him can you be free from sin's grip and the spiritual death that comes with it. So there's two things about Jesus' truth. Number one is this. Jesus' truth is a life-saving truth. It's a life-saving truth. Once your heart is changed, then you can change your behavior. A lot of times we try and change our behavior, and hopefully we change our life. But I want to challenge you with the idea that just like when you've ever painted over a rusty spot on your bulkhead for your house, or if you painted over rusty spots on your car, you may cover the rust up. But in about four or five months, the rust kind of comes through. Why? Because you just covered something over. You didn't really actually change it. You didn't really actually get in there and sand it down and pull it out and remove the decay so that you can find and restore something back to the way it's supposed to be. We're sometimes only talking about surface change. And you might even say, well, you know, I've instituted some good behaviors for my life. I've tried to change my life. Doesn't that count for something? And the answer is, yes, it does. It's admirable. It's noble. I am incredibly proud of you for doing that. But if you don't have something that's driving and moving you to continue on that pathway, you will falter, stumble, and fall when the things that you're so accustomed to either come calling back for you, either it's an addiction or a hang-up or a habit that we enjoy, because guess what? Sometimes we do enjoy doing the wrong thing. It happens. Or if we don't have the motivation to keep us on the right path, then we will lose our motivation and we'll find ourselves going back to more comfortable habits and behaviors. Jesus' truth is a life-saving truth. If you put your faith in Christ, he not only saves your physical life, but he saves your soul as well so that eternity is within your grasp, that you'll spend eternity with God forever in heaven. Secondly, it's a life-changing truth. Once your heart is changed, then you can change your behavior. God has to change us from the inside out. It's not an outside-in sort of change. Once he changes who we are and what our heart is set upon and that we remove the place of ourselves as being the most important thing in our life, then God can change us from the inside out and our life sees the difference. But this only happens if you choose to live by God's truth. Now, those who were listening began to protest. They said, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And those who were listening said, listen, uh, we don't need to be set free. And the Jews that were listening there, they said, we've never been a slave to anyone. 
Now, the irony of this is that we're talking about the Jewish people who have been historically oppressed by others for generations and thousands of years, going all the way back to when they were captives in Egypt and Moses had to deliver them, or when the Assyrians came and took over the ten tribes of Israel and displaced them somewhere else, or when the Babylonians came and King Nebuchadnezzar took away Daniel and his friends and Ezekiel and brought them into captivity, or when the Greeks came and they divided up the empire and they created atrocities against the nation of Israel, or even, look, they're even under the oppression of Roman rule right now. The irony is that they don't even recognize that they actually are slaves to a world power that is ruling over them. But Jesus wasn't talking about being slaves to an earthly master, but to a spiritual one. You know, we're talking about freedom today. So it's important to note that there are some things that will not set you free. And those two things are this. Number one, what won't set you free is your family heritage and your religion. Your family heritage. The Pharisees and the Jews has told themselves and commended themselves for being children of Abraham. And because of this, they consider themselves accepted by God and heaven merely because of the fact that they were physical descendants of Abraham. But they believed this was enough and they were God's chosen people. But even though they could claim Abraham as their father, they completely ignored the connection, the need for a connection with God as their heavenly father. One was a physical father, Abraham. They was the father of the entire Jewish nation. But there's also a spiritual father, God, our heavenly father, that they neglected a connection to. And just because they are children of one doesn't mean that they're children of the other. You cannot get to heaven on the faith of your father, your grandfather, your grandmother, your mother, your aunt, your uncle, your siblings, just because maybe you are a third-generation preacher or just because your, your father was a deacon in the church or your mother did potlucks or because they are praying people, it doesn't mean that you don't get any carryover benefit for their spiritual life. It's not like a 401K that once they pass away, the eternal blessings of their life that they've stored up in heaven goes to you as an inheritance. It doesn't work that way. I want you to know this, and I say this not to scare you, but every person will stand before God for their own life and with their own beliefs and what they did. Your mommy won't be standing with you. Your mommy's going to be like, he's a good boy. He prays to God. He goes to church twice a year. You know? Your mom won't be there, like, advocating for you like she did in high school, you know. And sometimes what she tries to do in college and sometimes even in your workplace, like, he's a good boy, let him in. That won't happen. Each person will stand before God. Your heritage doesn't matter. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen, as we look at Scripture, there are commendable families. We look at the family of Timothy, that his mother and his grandmother were spiritual people. And God commended Timothy for that, seeing that that was present in his life. But ultimately, the judgment that God has towards us has to do with where is our faith? How are we walking with him? Are we living for him? Just because they were children of Abraham didn't mean that they were necessarily children, spiritual children, sons and daughters of God. We can't get to heaven on the the faith of our parents. At a certain point, it has to become your own. Teenagers, college students, your faith has to become your own. There has to be a point where you believe or you don't believe. There has to come a point where you can articulate why you believe what you believe because it will be challenging to you, not just because you go to church, not because you were raised in it, but it has to become your own, and you have to be able to communicate that to others. It all begins with your realization that you need Jesus. So your family heritage won't save you, and your religion won't save you. Now, that sounds crazy, and that sounds weird for a pastor in a church that we're gathered here under the religion of Christianity, that we're sitting here today, and we're saying, well, religion can't save us. Understand what I mean here. Just because you're religious doesn't mean that you follow Jesus. Just because you're religious doesn't mean that you don't have sin in your life. 
I'm a pastor, obviously. It's my job to be close to God and help others to get close to God. But I must never forget that I am a sinner saved by grace. And despite my best efforts not to sin, there are times I do sin and I need God's forgiveness. There should never be a point in my life where I go, I'm a pastor, I'm good. I'm a pastor, I don't mess up. I'm a pastor, I don't sin. That would be ridiculous to say. But understanding that religion in and of itself is not going to save me. I should never become comfortable or complacent in my walk with Christ. Remembering that even Judas healed the sick and cast out demons and yet still betrayed Jesus and is in hell today. Think about that. That here's someone who walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, lived with Jesus, did the things Jesus did, and still fell away. On Judgment Day, every day will stand, every person will stand before God, and he's not concerned with what denomination you're a part of. He's not going to ask you, were you Protestant, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, or Assemblies of God? He won't even look for that really clever membership certificate that we print out here at Living Hope Church that we give to you when you go through membership class. He wants to say, well, I'll let you in, but let me see that membership certificate first. And you're like, oh, no, where is it? I hope, I, is it in my files? Is, did I fold it up in my Bible? Did I leave it on the seat on the service that morning? What did I do with it? And he's like, well, I guess I can't let you in. You don't have a membership certificate. Can I challenge you with the idea that it's not about being a member of a church that gets you into heaven? It's about whether you truly follow Jesus or not. And that's not a plaque you hang on your wall. It's a lifestyle that you live every single day where people go, that person is a Jesus freak. That person loves God. Or that person is really religious or however they use to describe you. They should know that you follow God. If it's not obvious to others, don't think it'll be obvious to God. I'm religious. Like, do you know me? You know, Jesus, that's the most important thing. There's only one credential God will look at when you get to heaven. Did you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and did you follow him? Nothing else will matter. As you can imagine, the people in the audience didn't like what Jesus had to say when he said, basically, your heritage won't matter, and your observance of the law won't matter when it comes to God. When he says the truth will set you free, understand that sometimes the truth is not easy to hear. Sometimes the truth can be upsetting. But sometimes there's times we need to hear it, especially from a trusted friend. Jesus dispenses truth, but his listeners were not willing to hear it. When people aren't ready to hear the truth, this is how they react. And maybe you can kind of understand what I'm talking about here. If you've ever tried to confront somebody, even if you're their good friend, even if you try and be as diplomatic as you can, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your children, maybe it's a good friend, maybe it's an extended family member, and you say, gosh, this person's really into some stuff that they need to change. And if you've ever tried to, to kindly and gently bring up the truth with someone, you know that the reactions are not always great. So Jesus brings up this truth. And the reactions are what you would expect. They became angry. They protest. They argue. They insult. In fact, remember, Jesus said these things to people who say they believe. Right? We read that in verse 30. Verse 31, he said, said to those who believe. Which means that belief alone is not it. Sorry, it's not. Well, I believe in God. That's great. Even the demons do. Okay? Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was a good man. He walked the earth and he was a teacher. That's not enough. It has to be more than that. So they even insulted him. When, when Jesus started confronting where they were really at and started dispensing truth, they started to insult him. Now, if you ever confronted somebody and you said, hey, you need to work on this. Oh, yeah, you need to work on this too. It's like, that doesn't even make any sense. What are you talking about? Well, you, you do this. It's like, we're not talking about me. You ever been in that situation? It's like, well, you lie. You get upset. It's like, yeah, but I don't hit people, okay? I don't do what you do. Like, I don't drink myself to sleep at night. I don't do what you do. It's so different. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? But people, when they get upset, they begin to insult. And so these people start insulting Jesus and say, well, Jesus, you're talking about fathers, right? At least we weren't born illegitimately, which was a dig at his birth and his origin, right? Imagine hearing that as Jesus. You're like, oh, no, you didn't go there, right? <laughs> or they say later on, they go, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you are demon-possessed? Does that sound like people that believe in Jesus? No, it doesn't sound like that at all. They believed in him as Messiah, but once he starts dispensing truth, once he starts confronting their conceptions about things, then they get upset and they start insulting him, calling him a Samaritan, which is basically uh, a half-breed Jew who are shunned by society. And we all know what demon possessed means. Says you're, you know, they're insulting him. And he says, no, I, I don't have a demon, and no, I'm not a Samaritan. They even went so far to say, we want to kill Jesus. Jesus said, you, you, you say you believe, you say you are children of Abraham, yet you are plotting to kill me for what I'm saying. And then later on in verse 59, said they actually picked up stones to try and stone him to death for blasphemy, for claiming he was the son of God. Part of the reason why people aren't ready to believe truth is because they deceive themselves, truthfully. Part of the reason why we have such a hard time receiving truth is because we've deceived ourselves into a place of comfort. Jesus goes so far to say in verses 44 and 45, you are children of the devil, for he is a liar and the father of lies, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. They were more comfortable with the illusion of safety and security than the truth of change. I'll say that again. They were more comfortable with the illusion of safety and security than they were with the truth of change. It's easier to ignore the truth. Sometimes people might even confront you on things. And when you get confronted on truth, sometimes you can get depressed. Sometimes you get frustrated. Sometimes you get angry. Sometimes you don't want to hear it. It's easier to ignore the truth. Sometimes people will self-medicate rather than confront reality. Jesus shatters their comfortable little world by confronting their hypocrisy. They claim to be Abraham's descendants, a holy people, but they do not do the works that Abraham did. Nor do they recognize Jesus as the one that Abraham and Moses said would come. And if they truly believed in him, they would not be plotting to kill him. Instead, they were living in a deceived state, refusing to believe the state of their spiritual condition. And believing the lies of the devil so they would say slaves to sin. Perhaps uh, the biggest lie that the devil tries to put on us is pretending that we have no sin. Deceiving ourselves to believe that our sin is not that bad because there's other people that sin worse. And the truth is it doesn't make our sin any less uh, offensive to God. It just means that there's more people sinning, if that makes sense. But if the devil can lead you to believe, hey, you know what, it doesn't matter, you know, God's not concerned with that. What you're doing is small, it's insignificant, it's no big deal. But think of what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1, 8 through 10. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the what? The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, meaning Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have not, say we have not sinned, we make him, God, to be a liar and his word is not in us. So it's very clear. He couldn't be any more uh, crystal clear in his words. You know, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples who wrote this letter to the church, he's saying, listen, you can't pretend it's not there. You've got to acknowledge it at some point in time. If we don't think that we have any sin, and if we don't think we need a Savior, then we're really just kidding ourselves. And Jesus' truth is not in us. These so-called believers that were listening to Jesus did not see any need for forgiveness because they didn't think that they were sinful. But the words of Jesus said otherwise. Now hear me when I say this. When Jesus dispenses truth, he's not doing it to shame us. He's not doing it to bring us down. He is doing it to make us aware of our condition 
so that we can see what's really going on and so we can turn to him and be free. He doesn't say, like, listen, I'm pointing out a flaw in your life because you're no good and I'm so much better than you and you'll never make it. He doesn't do it to shame us. He doesn't do it to bring us down. He does it to point it out so that we can be free from those things. But sometimes the things that we could be free from, we've grown so accustomed to it that we have trouble letting it go, even though it's bad for us. Even though it's something that is detrimental to us and will ultimately down the road kill us, because we don't have anyone else to turn to, we go to those things. Can I challenge you today to let go of that sinful security blanket and turn to the one who actually can help you? Turn to the one that can really change you and turn things around for you. So those things that you love but you also hate. Do you know what I'm talking about? You love it because, like, it makes you feel good. And then you come down from it and you're like, I'm awful, I'm no good. I, I, keep, I mess up again. I messed up, you know, I messed up in my family. I messed up before God, and I, I won't do it again. And then you feel bad about it, and then you feel guilty. And because you feel guilty and you want to feel better, what do you do? You go back to that thing that makes you feel better. And then you feel guilty all over again. What would happen if somehow, some way, you exchanged that thing for Jesus? What if you exchanged that guilt, that shame, and that cycle of brokenness and said, instead of running to that thing again to make me feel better, I run to the one that although he speaks truth, he has his, the best of intentions for my life, and I know that he loves me, and if you run to him, he will change you. That would break the cycle right there, wouldn't it? That would change everything because why? You've taken the thing that you run to and you've switched it with something better. You switch it with someone better. Now, we talked about what won't set you free, your family heritage, your religion. But what about the things that will set you free? You can write these down. There's three things. First thing is being honest with yourself and with God. You have to acknowledge there's a problem in order to fix it. If you refuse to acknowledge there's a problem, then you're living in deceit and you cannot be free. Even in your family, if your spouse brings something up to you that's going on in your life and you go, yeah, yeah, I suppose maybe I need to work on that, and then you don't hear about it for a while, here's a pro tip for you. It doesn't mean they've forgotten it. And it doesn't mean things are going to get better just because you're not hearing about it. The day may come where that family might not be there for you. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Just because you're not hearing about it doesn't mean that everything's all right, especially if you're still doing it. Gosh, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm coming off real hard to you today. I always tell myself when I get up here, I'm going to be more gentle <laughs> in my delivery. I'm going to be, I mean, be more humble, more gentle, and somehow it just, sorry, it just kind of keeps coming out. But I, I want you to get the gravity of the situation. Do you understand where I'm coming from today? Is that really what the Lord wants you to know is like just because the, it seems like they've forgotten about it doesn't mean it's gone. It just means that they know that you're not listening and they're not bringing it up again and they may be making plans for other things if you understand where I'm coming from. It doesn't have to get there though. But you have to be honest with yourself. If you're familiar with recovery programs, they all have a certain similarities, whether it's AA, a seven-step program, or Celebrate Recovery. One of the first steps is acknowledging you have a problem, developing accountability, and taking responsibility for your actions. If you, if you want to truly be free, you have to first see that you're bound by something. See, that was a problem that the Jewish people had. It's like, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they go, uh, we're not bound. We're not slaves. We don't need to be set free. That mindset keeps us from being free. A person can be bound by many things. You don't have to actually be a, an actual slave to be bound by something. You can be bound by your trauma. You can be bound by condemnation. You can be bound by habits and addictions. You can even be bound by spiritual forces that you're not even aware of. 
But until you acknowledge something's not right in my life, until you acknowledge I need to be set free from some things, then you will never be free. If your infirmity becomes your identity, you'll never be free. If you, like, if God took away the things in your life that were wrong with your life, you wouldn't know what to talk about. Your gout, your back pain, your kidney issues, whatever the problems might be, you know, your trauma, your anxiety. I don't mean to make light of those things, but sometimes we've learned to make it who we are instead of what's happening to us. Does that make sense? It's not who you are. Your trauma is not who you are. It's only a part of what you've been through. There's a person inside you that God wants to bring out to the forefront. He wants you to break through that wall and to break off those chains and to break off that shame so you can be who he created you to be. He didn't create you to be ground down, broken down, and busted up. He created you to be victorious in Christ. He created you as a child, a son and daughter of God. That's what he's created you for. But all these things, if we become so comfortable with them and we make them who we are, then we will never be free because we put our identity in those things. That's the first thing. Second thing, in order to be set free is to receive God's truth. And this is not about receiving your version of the truth, the thing that makes you look good. It's not about living, you live your truth, I'll live my truth, and it's all right because we're all living our truth. It's like, no, you can't have everything be right when you have two people sitting at a table. If you ever want to test this theory, share your strong opinion on a particular subject at Thanksgiving and see what happens. They will not say, you go ahead and live your truth. They'll say, you're wrong get out of my house, that sort of thing, right? Or there'll be a big blow-up, it'll be awkward, you know, the gravy gets cold, all those things, you know, so you don't want that. So you can't, this idea that everyone has a truth and you just live your truth and that will be okay, there is right and wrong in this world. You can't have your own version of truth. You have to accept the truth about our condition the truth that you need salvation, the truth about our state after salvation. The Bible tells us that our condition is not a good one before coming to Jesus. It tells us that we're all sinful from birth, and even the smallest of sins can make us guilty, and the penalty of sin must be paid for, but none of us can pay that penalty. And only one person did, and that's Jesus, because he's the only one that lived a life without sin. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and then rose again to show his supremacy over death. Listen, if Jesus just died and did not rise again, he would just be a martyr for his cause. If Jesus just died and he wasn't resurrected from the dead, his claims about resurrection, his claims about being God would have been easily debunked. But the fact that he rose from the dead shows that he was not subject to to death and had victory over death and because he was the first one to lead the way we know that if we put our faith and trust in him and when he says if you have faith in the son you shall have eternal life we know that he can back that promise up because he did it himself we need to put our faith in him and turn to him we have to believe Jesus' truth, his testimony, his message, his word. And when we do, we receive forgiveness, we receive salvation, and we receive eternal life. Even after death, we'll be alive with the Lord forever. But you have to be willing to accept his truth, not your truth and some biblical principles mixed in. Not, I'm going to live how I want to live, and I take the inspirational passages from Psalms and Proverbs and even the things that I like in the New Testament that I take out of context and I slap on a bumper sticker and like now I'm kind of living true. No, it's not that. It's like saying like really getting into the Word and saying I'm not living what it means to be a Christian and being honest with yourself. I'm not living it. And then saying what do I need to do to live it and accept that truth. The third thing that will set you free is loving Jesus and following him. You can't be free from sin 
bondage, or a cycle of addiction. You can't free yourself. Only God can free you. You can't free yourself. You can't save yourself from drowning. Right? You're drowning, you're like, I'll just take some more deep breaths and I'll save myself. Or I'll just start swimming differently and I'll save myself. You can't save yourself if you're drowning. If you're sinking in quicksand, you can't save yourself from sinking in quicksand. You need someone to be able to lend you a hand or throw you a rope or pull you out. You can't just go, well, I'll just keep trying. And you keep struggling and you go deeper and deeper into the sinkhole. You can't let yourself out of a jail cell. If that were the case, then prisons would be empty all around here. What has to happen? Someone with the key has to come, put the key in that door, unlock it, and open the door to let you out. You, didn't put your, you might have put yourself in there by your actions, but it's Jesus that can take you out of that prison cell. We need to love and accept Christ. We need to believe and receive his help. Jesus even said in uh, verses 42 and 43, he said, If God was your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord and will, but he sent me. Why you do not understand what I say is it because it is because you cannot bear my words. He says, If God was my father, you would love who I am, because I'm sent from God the Father. And if you love me, you would follow my teachings. Jesus reiterates this to his disciples in John chapter 14 and 15. Verse uh, 16 of chapter 14 says, If you love me and if you are my disciples, you will keep my commands. John 14, 21 says, Whoever keeps my commands is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me is loved by my Father, and I too will love them and reveal myself to them. John 15, 15 says, I do not call you servants or slaves because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Instead, I call you friends. It's the love of God that calls us to himself. Jesus calls us out of slavery into sonship. Look at verses 34 through 36 of John 8. He says this, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Listen, religion can be bondage and slavery. But relationship with Christ is freedom. It is freedom to walk with God, to know God, and to love God. It's not exchanging one prison for another. It's not exchanging one set of rules for another set of rules. Instead, it is acknowledging what Jesus had to say so that we might have sonship instead of slavery. Sonship instead of slavery. He says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Our actions tell on us. We can say that we aren't a slave to anyone or anything. But Jesus says, if you're still sinning, you're a slave to sin and need saving. It's our sin that's a constant reminder that we can't save ourselves and only Jesus can what he's inviting us to is sonship. What he is looking to set us free from is slavery. He's saying, I want you to come to me, to be in fellowship with me, and become part of the family of God. A slave doesn't enjoy the blessings of his master's household, but rather works and toils under his hand. But a son has an inheritance and is considered part of the family and receives the blessings of of that family. God wants you to be moved from slavery to sin to the family of God, to be sons and daughters of God. You say, well, we're all created by God. Doesn't that make us sons and daughters? No, we can actually serve different fathers. Even Jesus talked about that. He says, you serve your father to the devil because you have deceived yourself into believing you don't need me. So we are all created by God, but not everyone turns to God. All of us are like prodigals that we've turned away. Isaiah said we're all like sheep. We've gone astray, following our own ways. But thanks be to God, God has laid the punishment of our sin on Jesus for all of us so that we can know who God is. Verse 36, as I wrap up this message, 
Consider the words of Jesus. He says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Who the Son sets free is truly free. Do you want to be truly free? In order to be truly free, you need to have a revelation of Jesus as your deliverer. You need a revelation of his love and his power. You need to acknowledge him and believe that he has the power to set you free. If the Son sets you free, you'll be truly free indeed. I don't know about you, I want to be fully free. I don't want to be partially free because being partially free means I'm not really free. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, I'm free from this and that, but I'm still dealing with this. You're not free then. God wants you to be fully free. I don't want to be sort of free. I don't want to be uh, part-time free. There's no part-time being free. It's not like you're a prisoner and you're like, well, on the weekends I get to go out, but during the week I get locked in a cage. You know, this, this, there's no scenario where that works. You're either free or you're not free. You're either free or you're bound. There is no in-between. But just remember, you can't open the prison doors from the inside. You need someone who has the key. The most important realization you can have is that you don't hold the key. Instead, Jesus does. He is the one that can set you free from sin and from patterns of behavior. Hear me when I say this, is that you can try and change everything else about you. You can change your name, you change your hairstyle, you can change the places you go and the things that you do, but if there's not a heart change, you will not change. You will find yourself going back to the same things over and over again. And honestly, unless God frees you from certain mindsets, you will never be able to change. You need God to set you free from different mindsets. You, sometimes you can have a negative mindset. Nothing's ever good. You talk to a person, all they talk about is how bad the world is, how bad they are, and how bad life is. And you're like, eee. But, you know, something in that person's mind years ago established that. Because there's nef- nothing ever good enough. It could have been that they were raised in a family where they were never good enough. So they're never good enough, and the world's never good enough. You understand what I'm saying? Unless that's broken, that will continue. A mindset that's easily offended. A selfish mindset. In other words, you're always thinking of yourself. Or maybe you know people that are always thinking of themselves, and you're like, can't they see that they're just being selfish? And no, because they're at the center of their life. Only God can change that. Only God can help us by being transformed by the renewing of our minds. There is not just mindsets, but there's life-controlling habits that you need to be set free from. You could be addicted to cigarettes or drugs or alcohol. You can be addicted to the approval of others. I need to be, I need validation. I need someone to say, good job, buddy. I need a pat on the back in order to keep going. You can be addicted to approval. That everything that you do has to be rooted in something. If you're not getting some kind of praise out of it, you don't want to do it. That's broken. Sometimes we can be addicted to success. That we're chasing after success. And then when we hit that milestone, it's good, but we're off to the next one and the next one. And we're just chasing after competing with other people and trying to be better than other people. Some people are addicted to ego and narcissistic tendencies. But Jesus has a solution to that problem, too. You know what it's called? It's called dying to self. It's called uh, taking up your cross and following him. Unless we learn to die to these things that help shape who we are, we're going to keep coming back to those things. You'll just fit it into a different mindset. You'll just put on a different suit. Sometimes we bring these mindsets into Christianity. Let me explain it to you. You still with me? Half of you, okay, good. I want to break it down for you, too, because you can say to yourself, okay, give an example. A negative mindset can be a person that is always judgmental towards other people and their sin and doesn't recognize their own. An easily offended mindset would say, 
I deserve respect and people are not respecting me. I don't like the way the pastor looked at me. I don't like what somebody said about me. I don't like the muffins at coffee hour. So I'm leaving this church and someone better come and apologize to me or I'm not coming back here ever again. Sounds ridiculous. I'm going to... Because I can't. I'll, I'll, I don't know, I can't. <laughs> Uh, you know, so there's different things, and we, we sometimes keep going in these cycles over and over again, and we can't break free of them. But we need to die to ourselves. Sometimes there's cycles or patterns that keep, seem to go through your family over and over again in your history that you also need to be free from. Sometimes your family can have a poverty mindset. Your family's always in debt. They never get out. They're never good with money. The cars they have are never good. You know, they can't hold down a job. They're always asking people for money. And it's like that happened with your father, your grandfather, and you're starting to see it's happening with you. Can I tell you that's a generational mindset that needs to be broken? It's a poverty mindset that needs to be snapped off and broken off you. You know where that starts? It starts with you. It doesn't matter what they did. What happens now is you're walking in Christ. Are you walking in a different mindset? Start letting the Lord write a new chapter in your family's history. Perhaps you might have a violent history. You can't control your temper or your anger. You take it out on those around you. It's a pattern that was present in your father. It's in you. And if you don't change, you'll be in your children as well. God can help you with the anger. Sometimes we're angry and we don't know why. And the truth is we're angry sometimes about the things that we don't even think about. It's not because they're angry because there's, there's not enough creamer at coffee hour. They're not angry about that. Have you ever seen someone with an anger problem? They fly off the handle because you didn't put toilet paper on the toilet paper roll. It's like, what a lunatic that they lost their mind over that. It's not the toilet paper roll. It's about the other things going on in their life. They're angry because things didn't work out the way they planned it to. They're angry that they got laid off from work. They're angry that they were abandoned as a child by their mother or their father. They're angry because, you know, their kids are, are off doing whatever they want to do. And they're angry about those things. They're angry because they, their father passed away and never got to say goodbye to them. They're angry. But unless someone shows you you're angry, you're never going to get free from that. Unless the Lord goes, hey, listen, son, daughter, I love you. You need to let go of those things that made you this way in the first place. Yeah, but I'm so mad. It's okay to be angry. What happened to you wasn't right. But you need to let it go so that you don't perpetuate the same thing that was put over you. Do you hear me, sons and daughters of God? Do you hear me, brothers and sisters today? You are going to perpetuate the same thing that defined your life. The same thing that you hated, that you hated your father. Don't become that person. You're like, oh, I'm not, I'll never be him. Watch your life and how you live and watch how other people are. Are they afraid of you? You might be becoming that person. Maybe it's a history of abuse. Maybe it's the hurts and hardships of life Hear me, church, and this might be a little controversial. I don't believe in generational curses, but I do believe in generational mindsets and consequences, and that these consequences can be a curse on you and your family. Listen, something as simple as debt can cripple you and your family for generations under the mindset thereof. People who typically are alcoholics or addicted to drugs, typically their children have a weakness for alcohol and drugs. So something's being passed on generationally because it's the consequences of that sin upon their life. It's the consequences of that mindset. But can I, can I give you some good news? Would you like some good news today? As I've been yelling at you for about a half an hour. <laughs> These might be curses. Curses upon your family. Curses upon your life. Curses upon your mindset. You keep going into a cycle where you just can't get out of it. Can I share with you some good news? Jesus broke the curse. Jesus broke the curse of sin on the cross. Every curse has its root in the fall of Adam and Eve. As because of that sin, curses entered the world.
But when Jesus canceled the power of sin on the cross, he canceled the curse associated with it, the judgment that was associated with it. He undid it at the cross. And those who come to Jesus, those who repent and say, Jesus, I know that you're the way, the truth, and the life. Those who come to him, they find freedom from the past. They find healing from their hurts. They find uh, liberation from mindsets that are broken, and they find the curse of sin over their life, and the condemnation that's associated with it is forever broken. And now you can walk in healing. Now you can walk in health. Now you can walk in right mindsets. And God begins to change and transform your thinking by the renewing of your mind and the working of the Holy Spirit within you. And you become the different person that you kept trying to be but couldn't. Become dead to sin and alive in Christ. But can I challenge you today to be free and truly free? You have to be honest with yourself and God. You have to accept his love and follow him. And you have to seek his ability to set you free. So as our heads are bowed and eyes closed, I want to pray in just a moment here. After I pray, I'm going to open up these altars for those who would want to receive prayer. I believe that Jesus has come to set the captives free today. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we just pray today, as you've spoken to us through your word, that, Lord, the truth will set us free, and the truth sometimes hurts. I pray this morning that, Lord God, as we've heard some hard things, help us to remember that you share these things with us not to shame us, not to condemn us, but rather to rescue us and save us. Help us to turn to you. Help us to recognize what needs to be changed in our life, what we need to be set free from today, and let you do it. Holy Spirit, work in us. Bring about the change we need and move us from a place of denial to a place of acceptance and deliverance, Lord God. We ask that you would do this, not only for those here, but all those that are watching and listening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.